GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers. A theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast-loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit Telerik.com slash Xamarin dash gone mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. How you doing today, John? Not too bad. I'm feeling pretty good. We got some releases out recently at work, and now it's uh, time to head to, to Boston next week for me. Nice, nice. Releases of what? More Google libraries? Yeah, all, it's all the Google things. We've got Android support out, and uh, Play Services is uh, out in preview, but we're close to getting through QA on that one. Nice, nice. Do you get to work on anything other than Google releases? Like, it seems like that's every day they have, like, four more libraries you have to update bindings No, that's for. about it. <laughs> that the, There's already another Android support one to, to get working on, so that's that's pretty much my life now. Nice. It just seems like a Sisyphean task for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. For my side, I'm excited. Tomorrow, I'm actually getting the the new iPhone, the iPhone 10. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get yes. to live the 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 nub or the chin life or whatever you want to call it at the top there. <laughs> we we should maybe do an episode on that. Maybe I'm getting. I think my Pixel 2 is coming soon. So we should maybe have a a heads to head episode on that. Nice, nice. Oh yeah, the one that you know now you can no longer make fun of a lack of a headphone jack, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well. You know, enough enough of that. We'll we'll leave that to a future episode of a nice iOS and Android head to head or something. Um, but I'm but I'm really excited to to get into this episode and and it's one that I think is is long overdue because we're going to talk about really one of the the oldest sort of poster child apps that's been on the Xamarin platform for a really really long time, um, and that that's Infinite Flight. So I'm excited to welcome Laura Labond to the show to you know the CEO and founder to chat about it. Welcome, Lauren. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, so before we get into the the, the tech side of things, um, like, what made you originally want to write a flight simulator in the first place? Like, are you are you a pilot in your your spare time as well? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a private pilot. Uh, I started flying when I was eighteen, nineteen, after graduating high school. Um, I had sold uh, to pay for that. I had sold. Um, uh, packages like add-ons for Flight Simulator 98, 2000. Um, so this was a long time ago. Uh, and so my, my father told me, like, you can't start flying until you have your high school degree. So this is what I did. I waited, and then week after that, I was doing my first um, lesson. Um, and I was involved in, like, flight simulation. I was coding a little bit, but not nothing... Um, like no writing of a flight sim per se. Um, uh, I did do a lot of you know direct 3D work, uh, just like everybody writing engines after engines after engines and always finding new ways to do things better. And then I I went to Paris uh, to um, a school called Epitech, uh, which is a kind of new way of you know, like um, a new new kind of wave of engineering school it's different than the other ones um, and I was focusing mostly on on game development there was a laboratory in the school that I was a member of 
and with a group of friends, we were making games.、Um, as you know, you had kind of what they call free projects, where you could do、um, like one project every year, where you could do whatever you wanted. And we always were working on games. And、uh, for some reason, I was always doing the physics engines on those those、um, those uh, projects. Uh, you know, because you need crates to shoot at,、uh, and you need the crates to move.、Uh, and there was one t- at that time. There was a physics engine in C++ called、uh, ODE,、um, and this was an open source project. And in the SDK, there was a sample that was basically just a car,、um, like a block car with four wheels、uh, that you could drive on a terrain made of like boxes and triangles, with like a sort of a parking structure、uh, that you could just like go on and climb up to the top. And when the car, like I was playing that, you know, at night when we we're all tired, like you know, it's a different type of school, so you could work at night in a school. So,、um, and then I was playing with this, just like you know, endlessly like a drone when you're like so tired at three, four o'clock in the morning. And then I realized like when the car was on its back, I had to restart the sample to play again. So I added, or maybe it was part of the the、uh, sample I forgot, but、uh, there was a key. To press to basically flip the car back on its wheels, and、um, if you press that key fast enough, the pl- the car would like you know kind of tumble, and then you could make the car fly. And this is when it hit me: like, what if I had、um, a、uh, what if I, what if I kind of modeled fake wings on that、uh, car and made、uh, forces vary based on the angle of attack and the velocity of the vehicle. And basically, that's how the car started flying. And then I changed the model to a plane, and this is how Infinite Flight got started. So, I, I mean, you mentioned you had some experience with some of the other flight simulators. I, I actually remember years ago、uh, getting into them a little bit myself. So this is kind of interesting for me. But、um, besides, you know, this realization that you could make this car fly in the sample, you know, what what was really the driving force behind you deciding, okay, I'm going to sit down and make a, a full on different flight simulator? I mean, was it because the the ones that you were used to using weren't good enough? Did they not do things properly?、Um, like, what drove you to this? So I. Had always this idea that I wanted to do one、uh, before、um, before even getting into it.、Um, I um,、uh, I started playing with、um, what's it called、uh, Flight Gear. I tried to just compile it on Windows, and this was a daunting task. It basically, I just could not get it to run with Visual Studio. Just after modifying everything, it just wasn't uh, working. Um, so. I had bought a book at some point that was about writing a flight simulator, but it was only about the flying part, not the landing or just taxiing on the ground, which is as important because you can't be in the air unless you taxi.、Um, and I had,、um, yeah, I had, I was playing a lot of you know FSX, FS ninety eight,、um, and I never really got into X plane.、Um, It was always something that I really had a hard time、uh, with. This、uh, it's a you know, it's a good app. It's just great. There's lots of features.、Um, but there's one important thing for me, which is the cameras.、Um, and if you don't have good、uh, cameras, feels like the experience is just it's you know any any graphics engine when you start coding, and the first thing you code is a free camera, because if you have a poor camera, you can't debug, you can't see what you want to see.、Um, And this is,、um, 
I guess this is what pushed me. Like there's things that I didn't like in other Sims and also like, oh, I would love to actually write one on my own one day. Cool. So when, when did Infinite Flight actually, uh, when was the first release of that? So this was on Windows Phone. And um, so, well, technically, like I, I had uh, before Infinite Flight was called Infinite Flight, uh, when this was just my pet project, I actually released it on, on the internet just as a zip file and people could download it. They just needed to .NET SDK, whatever, and manage DirectX and all that. Um, and then when Philippe and I, the co-founder of the company, we were working at NVIDIA at the time in Santa Clara. Um, and we kind of joined forces uh, in 2010-ish. Uh, and the fun part is that um, in uh, May 2010, I actually interviewed with Microsoft to work on Microsoft Flight. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and they did, not, they did not call me back. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of went there just like, you know, kind of market research, I guess, to find out what they were up to. Um, they were cool. Like I knew most of the developers and the team. Um, but it was mostly C++ and the weather was bad. So I'm happy they didn't call me back. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Philippe and I like kind of joined forces, uh, and in, uh, so when was it? Uh, Microsoft sent us in 2010, a sample, uh, of a windows phone. I think it was an LG device. You could see like build quality wasn't that really good. Um, and it was like a, you know, test kit, like a development kit, um, and so we worked on that until March when we shipped. March, April 2011, we shipped on uh, Windows Phone. And the success was like uh, not that great. Uh, it took us, um, I mean, we were pretty much the only flight sim app on that market for a long time. But just there was nobody on those devices. Um, so in. September of that year, 20, uh, 2011, uh, we actually started porting the app on iOS. So we used uh, Monogame. We actually added the 3D uh, support for uh, Monogame um, and shipped to iOS in, I think it was March of 2012. Uh, and since that, it's been like, this is kind of what allowed us to take off and, and um, like leave her full-time jobs and um yeah and then android was in 2013 i think that's interesting yeah. so it's so it sounds like there's only uh was that a six month gap or so in between releasing that uh windows phone version that you were talking about and deciding and actually shipping that ios version including all that 3d work and mono game that you had to do so uh, yeah i guess that yeah, so six months after we started working on the iOS version, and it took us about six months to make it work. Um, yeah, and, and the original plan was to make it work on Xbox, uh, but then there was no networking, it was just too much trouble. Um, so we just went to iOS, and it was a good decision. Like we had, uh, and then the competitors at the time were kind of forgetting about the platform. So this was a good time for us to just swoop in and, and get the market. So you mentioned that you, you ported to Android as well. Are there any other platforms that you support like today? Uh, we work on PC, but we've never actually released anything. Um, and the reason is we don't really want to be compared to other Sims because we still have, we're younger than most of the other established ones. So there's definitely features that we don't have 
that we want to support or we don't have. And I mean, today we're thinking we could actually compare with what they have, especially because of the new rendering system we have. We have the entire planet. There's there's um, the scenery and worlds, besides the fact that we don't have buildings yet. Uh, we don't have to be ashamed of it anymore um, because the rendering was, was, you know, it was a little lacking because this was a big task to, uh, mm -hmm. to do. But now so, it, it, it's caught up. So, I mean, since you're on primarily touch-based devices, you know, what, what does that make the app look like from a user experience? I, I mean, everything's all touch-based and is that maybe part of a challenge of porting it to other platforms like, you know, PC or, or Xbox or something like that? Not really, because we've the development started on PC. So we have um, all the keyboard bindings, joystick bindings are already there. Um, and if you look inside, uh, especially the Android app, if you plug in a joystick with a USB OTG cable, you can see the joystick is listed as one of the possible interfaces you can bind things to. So if you go in the control page and you like type an axis and you move the joystick uh, axis on your on your Android device, it'll work. Um, so it's kind of we haven't really made the UI different. So you can still see the touch controls on PC. Uh, if we ever decide to release, we may have to just take those controls off the screen. Uh, but the keyboard keyboard bindings work, so this is not really an issue. So I know that they're inside of the game. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of things that you can do. Like, could could you sort of run through at least some of the the sort of highlights of like if you're if I'm a user downloading this app from the app store, like what are the types of things that I can do inside of the app? Like, what what are the activities? Like, what's the interaction like? So the basic um, scenario is you start the app, you choose your plane, you choose your location. Uh, you start your flight and you will end up on the runway or at a parking uh, spot. You can start your engine uh, and then taxi to the runway and take off. And then what you do afterwards is just, you know, some people do five minute flights, some people, you know, practice landings, some people go for 11, 12, 20 hour flights across, across the oceans. Um, and there's a there's also like weather that you can change. We don't have clouds yet because of uh, performance on devices, um, but we're thinking about doing that soon. Um, but one important aspect, which, which we think is kind of setting us apart from other ones, uh, is that we have uh, an extensive multiplayer mode where you can um, be a pilot or a controller. Um, so if you decide to be a pilot, you can uh, you can go to a place where there's a, a controller active on a t on a tower control a station, and you can say you know I'm requesting takeoff for this runway, and then when you take off, there might be a departure controller that you can talk to, so and ask you know for vectors to an airport, uh, as you can ask for ILS approaches, radar uh, vectors to uh, GPS approaches. So we have an extensive uh, list of commands. So it's, this is not voice-based because people would just start insulting each other. Um, <laughs> it is the internet. And then we have, <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's a, a bunch of forced messages that yeah. are con context-based, so you can't ask for a takeoff clearance if you're already in the air. So it kind of simplifies the concepts um, and also means you can play in a train uh, or a crowded area. Um, and uh, so in terms of planes, we have, I think, about 50 airplanes to choose from. Uh, the regions, we have pretty much the entire world. Uh, so 
wherever you want to go, just type the name in and then you'll find the airport. Uh, and there's uh, an important aspect about trolling on, on the multiplayer system to make sure that you have a good experience. So we have three different server levels. One that is casual, where pretty much anything goes uh, and there's no rules. One that is training, where there's some rules and some violations you can get if you behave improperly. And what we call the expert server, where we request people to be uh, of a certain uh, experience. And we have controllers that can, what we call ghost people, and basically uh, keep them from accessing the server for a specific period of time. Um, so this all to maintain some sort of um, good experience for people who want to fly um, properly and, and in a serious way. So this controller role, is this like an actual person that sits as a controller? Is it AI based? And like what, you know, is it a separate app that they use or how does that integrate with everything? So it's a different mode of the app. So when you start, you say, I want to fly solo, fly multiplayer as a pilot or fly uh, or be an air traffic controller. And then you select an airport. Uh, you select uh, if you want to be tower, ground, approach, departure or a center based on that location. Uh, and it starts the app in a different mode uh, where you have a basically like a radar screen uh, and you can just click on planes, send instructions. There's like some drag and drop features for radar vectors so you don't have to compute yourself uh, the vectors you want to send people to. You just click on a plane, drag a vector, and then when you let go, it's you know you can send directly or send with an altitude, send with an ILS clearance. So there's a bunch of... Um, it's. There's still room for improvement, uh, but we've had uh, some controllers who are absolutely amazing at this uh, this stuff. Uh, and we actually have one of our community manager who's taking care of ATC is actually an air traffic controller in real life. Oh, that's awesome! Um, so he gives us you know pointers and and kind of leads all the the um, training of all these guys. Nice. So then, does the multiplayer sort of environment rely on having people that choose to be air traffic controllers and pilots and all of that or you know does the system have a kind of fallback of automatic air traffic controllers and stuff if no one's doing that so not really this is something that i've always wanted to try to do having some kind of ai that could pick up uh, as a tower controller or ai planes flying around uh, this would be possible now because it's just you know, we just have to connect as a mock airplane and have it fly around. But we haven't really done that yet. Um, uh, but if, if there's people who want to fly in the same location, but they don't have a tower controller, we have, just like in real life, what we call the Unicom frequency, uh, where basically the people broadcast their intentions. So it's a different set of messages. It's you, you saying, like, I'm taking off runway this much, and, you know, I'm exiting the area, I'm on left downwind, right downwind final, and people are supposed to kind of follow the instructions. Gotcha. And when you said before, you know, in passing that, you know, it could be a 10-minute a flight or it could be a 20-hour flight, like, is that 20 hours of real time, like, you're going to sit there and, and fly a plane for 20 hours? Absolutely. So we have, um, we have ways to import flight plans through the API. So people will go on FlightAware or FlightRadar, uh, take a flight plan of the day, um, because since we have live weather, it makes sense to take the current flight plan of you know, Air France 06 from LA to Paris. 
you just take the same flight plan uh, and then we have a, a, a lateral navigation button that basically just follows the flight plan the whole way. So I would say people are generally not in front of the iPad or the phone for 20 hours, uh, but it's on autopilot. And they usually monitor their flight status using um, a third-party app that uh, uh, one of our interns did uh, that's basically accessing our um, uh, live plane data uh, on, an, on an API on our servers. And kind of, sh we basically have a flight aware of infinite flight traffic, which is pretty fun. That's pretty cool. I, I love the concept that you can like just kind of remote in and see how you're doing from, from yeah. anywhere. That's awesome. And I'm, um, and I'm convincing uh, I'm convincing a, a friend in Paris to write a remote app so you can actually impact your plane from your phone, even if you're not in front of it. That's using our <laughs> API. That's fantastic. So if, if I want to get started as somebody who <clears throat> is not a pilot and, you know, very little experience, what do I have to actually understand to, to get up in the air? I know you mentioned there's like a, a sort of, you know, more free for all set of servers. Um, but aside from just being able to get, actually get a, a, into it, how do I get a plane into the air as a new beginner? So there's some tutorials uh, that we've posted on our uh, YouTube page. So Mark, one of our community manager, um, he made some videos where basically it shows you how to take off, how to land, um, how to start an engine, how to do radio communications. We, we have probably have like 50-ish plus maybe uh, tutorials um, that we've done. So, and, and we may mostly rely on just trial and error, uh, just for people to just start flying. Uh, we have a replay system where you can, you know, you can do a landing, you can totally botch it, and then you can just click replay. There's a slider, you can just go back to where you think you made a mistake and then pick it up from there. So that's a good way to learn. Yeah, if only real life was that easy, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're not, we're not really trying to simplify concepts, so there's no, there's no easy mode. Uh, it's just, you know, the universe works this way, so this is how the plane is going to work. Um, and there's a lot of people who contact us and say, oh, I've learned so much. I didn't know anything about this and that. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's humbling to see that, you know, we've kind of pushed knowledge um, onto people. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so stepping a little bit deeper into the stack then, like, like let's, let's talk about the, the tech stack that's inside of this app and, and kind of how you built it. Um, you know, you mentioned starting with, with Monogame and doing that 3D port, you know, going back, I guess, six years ago now. Um, like, what does that stack look like now inside of Infinite Flight? Um, so we still use Monogame. So the whole project is in C Sharp. Um, there's no managed C++, C++ CLI, or there may be some bindings to native libraries on some platforms, uh, but we don't have, like, most of it is in, is in C Sharp. Uh, we still use Monogame for most of the rendering. We've actually started to phase it out because there's some limitations. Uh, that we're trying to overcome, and we didn't have much choice uh, in some places to just um, uh, kind of part ways. Uh, there's the sound system is is using uh, FMUD, so we have a FMUD Studio project that is um, containing all the sounds for all the airplanes and sound effects for you know in the cockpits and all that. And um, so we load the FMUD Studio files uh, on on the devices. 
uh, for the UI, it's uh, an in-house uh, UI toolkit. It's based on uh, XAML files. We just code everything. We just kind of do everything in Visual Studio and then take the XAML files, put them in our content, and we load the files, create uh, our own structure of buttons, uh, checkboxes, and this is all rendered in OpenGL, so we render all the controls manually. Uh, same for scroll views, uh, data grids, uh, property grids. Um, everything is basically done through uh, our, our own system for that. Uh, what else? For the um, accelerometer, uh, to all the motions that you do, this is all um, using the standard uh, system, input systems from the devices. Uh, there's, for the, f the flight physics, this is our, um, so we're using a, uh, a library called BEPU. Um, uh, it's entirely in C sharp, really nice library. Uh, really well made, super optimized for performance. Uh, and this, uh, so it basically what we create in the in this uh, this physics world is, we'll say a, a basic shape of the airplane onto which we we say there's going to be forces at these specific locations. Uh, and believe it or not, it actually makes the plane fly, <laughs> which is which is crazy. Like the, we have lift curves, and depending on where you are on the speed, on the angle of attack. Uh, uh, the air pressure, the altitude, you know, the speed of sound, all these values come into parameters to compute a final lift force and a drag force that we apply onto uh, the, the rigid body, basically. And this worked, this worked pretty well. So for the multiplayer, uh, we're using a library called uh, Lidgren for the connections uh, to share user positions and states and all that. So this is a, uh, again, all in C-sharp library to do reliable UDP uh, because TCP wasn't working. We, did, we tried it initially, but it just wasn't working. Um, so we send things like uh, flaps position, gear position, ATC messages in a reliable way. And all the positions are sent just in the guess standard uh, UDP fashion where send and forget and then if they come they come and on the server side we use the same uh, Lidgren library uh, and all the code is again in C sharp uh, on Azure services so we have a, a couple of like a bunch of worker roles uh, accepting the connections and dispatching all the messages to everybody uh, and we're using SQL Server to store uh, user accounts, uh, some positions and the flight data. We're using Redis as our cache um, for uh, user stats that we don't want to query the database all the time for. Uh, for the API, this is all also ASP.NET projects, so web roles, and uh, using the same kind of connections for SQL and, and uh, Redis. So yeah, I think that's it. Unless I'm missing something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And there, there's a lot in there that, that I think we can sort of dig into. Um, but one of the things that, I, that I'm kind of curious of before we get into to all of that is, I mean, you mentioned, I think, having 50 or so different planes. And, um, you know, you were mentioning there about how you're plugging in all these different, you know, force vectors and stuff into the, the physics engine. Like, where are you actually getting all that data from, be it the, the actual models for these planes and how they sort of, you know, I assume that different planes act in 
fly in, in different manners? Like, where is that coming from? So the data we get from um, pilots usually who will um, want to have a, you know, we have a lot of pilots using the app, so they will send us uh, information about how the plane flies in different uh, attitudes, uh, different altitudes and approach. Uh, and I usually start by basing, let's say I'm working on the MD-11 right now. Uh, so I just based it off the 787, which is one of the latest model we had. Uh, and we set the uh, all the uh, rigid body structures, all the structural parts which have a weight, like the engine. I set them at the appropriate location where they should be in real life. Uh, I try to get some information on the center of gravity, where it should be, where the t fuel tanks are, how much fuel you can put in there, how much passengers can be in the plane, how much, like roughly the fuselage, um, like the empty fuselage without the engine kind of weighs, how much the wing weight. Um, and once I have that, uh, I get the wing area. I, I try to find all these data, like cross-reference as much as I can. Uh, and then once I have all this information, I just do a test flight and then see how it behaves. Uh, and then usually in the manuals that some people sent us, like just, uh, like we have a, a standard questionnaire that we send pilots say like, hey, uh, say you have zero flaps, you're at 20,000 feet, 250 knots. What is the percentage of power, like the N1 you have? Uh, what is the pitch attitude that you have? And once I have those parameters, I can pretty much gauge uh, how the lift curves uh, are, how I should move them on, on the x-axis, and what the drag is at a specific um, point. Uh, and then you know we have we also asked them to give us with the flaps, with the gear out, what's the what's the typical landing configuration, and what's the N1 and pitch attitude, uh, and you know and ha you kind of ask them like fly it in the app and tell us oh well this is wrong or the pitch attitude is wrong in, in some uh, on some plane, and it's interesting because sometimes we have some of our users. Uh, sometimes like know-it-all kind of users who are going to come and say, hey, you know, the, you know, the MD-11 uh, flies with like a, you know, three degrees of pitch uh, on flight levels. It should be like zero. I mean, like, well, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we actually have an experienced pilot who told us it was three degrees, so this is why it's three degrees. Um, so it's, uh, sometimes it's difficult, like we have arguments that, and we tell people like, hey, if we're wrong, just send us the information you have that says that this is wrong and then we'll adjust it. You know, but it's, yeah, this is basically how the, the flight model is, is, is done for, for each of the planes. That's cool. And, and I know from looking at the app that, you know, in addition to just having real planes and models, like you have real looking airlines and actual brands and stuff in there as well. Like, have you run into any like legal issues with including like Delta or branding or any of that sort of thing? We don't really discuss this publicly. This is a touchy subject. Uh, what we fair. can tell you, <laughs> what we can tell you is that we actually got like recently. I got in touch with the um, Sky Team. So the Sky Team uh, Twitter handle, the people behind it, contacted me because I posted a picture of a Sky Team plane in front of the moon, and they're like, "Hey, we'd love we'd love to post your picture on our um, Facebook page," and they had 400 and something followers. And I had like, well, okay, full disclosure, this is actually from an app. And uh, <laughs> they're like, well, in this case, we can't do it. 
but we've we've had retweets from airlines maybe like like a dozen times uh they, they didn't know like we had singapore <laughs> Sing, singapore airlines just last week responded to uh one of our users posted a picture i think they were flying over some desert and they said oh i just woke up from my from, you know from you know still flying i guess they were flying all night and they woke up it was morning and they posted a picture of a wind view and Singapore Airlines and they tagged Singapore Airlines and Singapore Airlines responded like, hey, you know, have a good flight. <laughs> have a good rest of your flight. And the picture looked real if you just see it on a tiny screen without really paying much attention. You know, yeah. um, Kudos to your rendering engine on that one. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's uh, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin in, in France did that. Um, and I forgot one thing about the, the technical, the, the stack that's important for the, the terrain rendering, uh, because that's, uh, that's also something we completely did in-house. We were using Mapbox at the time, like the first uh, iteration was using Mapbox, but we were having issues with different um, like hues and coloring, uh, diff- depending on what layer of satellite imagery Mapbox was returning. And there was no way for us to force, like say, we just want Landsat, whatever, you know, all the time. There's no way to force it. Um, so what we end up, up doing is buying satellite imagery ourselves and implementing a, um, a basically just a, a big tile server uh, system where we have the tiles on, on Azure uh, service that's behind a CDN and we uh, serve those tiles, which are ETC compressed tiles. And this takes... Philippe told me it takes about about a week to compress them all. Um, so yeah, and with a big machine, like a big rig he built in his in his house um, that has like one of the fastest SSD we could find with the fastest RAM and whatever fastest thing we could find. So, so are you updating them on a regular basis then, like from your source? So our source is going to give us new data for, uh, so we're missing parts of the world and we're missing South Africa, South America, because they hadn't done it yet, uh, and some parts of Asia as well. Uh, so as soon as they have it, we just have to re, um, like add those tiles to the database and then post it on the servers and then everybody gets uh, the new tiles. So yes, we plan on updating them. And how does that work with like elevation? Do you, do the tiles like, have data on that or um, how does that end up like getting rendered so this is a separate source elevation is coming from uh, SRTM data so this is the shuttle radar topography mission I think uh, that was done in the 80s and 90s and uh, the problem with this data is it's precise but it it has some issues and there's no data above the 60th uh, uh, parallels so anything at the poles or even like northern Europe, northern uh, Canada, or even like I think Anchorage is not uh, in that zone. So we're working with another source that's a little more uh, recent. And the problem is it comes with, uh, um, what's it called, the underwater uh, terrain as well. So we have to yeah. make sure that we know where is underwater and kind of cap it to zero. But also, if it comes, it's it's uh, it came with some problems. This is why we didn't do it. So you and you mentioned before that you didn't have any buildings or anything like that. Do you have plans to incorporate that kind of uh, data? Yes. So the reason why we didn't have buildings is is I'm not sure why you know what it is, but there's uh, we kind of pushed it off because we're working on this big update. 
and we wanted to have a reliable source, a reliable way to send those vector data to, or possibly like 3D model data, custom 3D model data to the, to the, the devices. Uh, so now that we have our planet rendering system and all the tile serving um, infrastructure, uh, we're, we can definitely add, you know, like the airports are basically vector tiles that say there's a, you know, a piece of taxiway here, there's a line here. We just have to do the same thing, but for buildings. And and uh, we have some good source with OpenStreetMap uh, for buildings, so we're thinking of using that. But there's no time frame for now. Cool. And did you mention earlier that you actually had uh, weather systems built into the, the world as well? Yes. So that's something um, that I worked on. It's uh, uh, it's using grip files. So it's uh, kind of raw data that you get from, uh, I think it's a US weather service. They give you those files, which are a pain to parse. Uh, they're like uh, kind of raster uh, or just blobs of data where there's uh, humidity, wind, wind direction, and all that kind of information, temperature, pressure. Uh, and that is all parsed every hour. We get the data. Uh, so we download the latest uh, file for the current time and compress that in a format that we can read super quickly and then memory map this file. And whenever there's a query for it, we just uh, get the data and send it uh, to people. So taking a step back into the tech side of things again, um, you mentioned that obviously that you're using Monogame and, and since the inception of the app, you've, you've been obviously going the C-sharp route. Have you encountered a lot of issues um, with performance or just scalability going that route? Uh, and would you do it the same way again if you did it, if you were to start over today? Um, we... The only real issue we've had was uh, with performance with the garbage collector um, because uh, initially uh, Xamarin didn't have a general generational garbage collector. So this was really a pain for us. We were spending a lot of time doing that. Uh, and then now we're fighting um, like as much as we can against allocations. Uh, so there's like a rule in place if you're in the rendering loop and you do a new on anything, um, you should really think about it because it, it just hits performance really badly. Um, and other than that, there was, there was maybe a few times some SDKs that we could not use because there was no bindings and we didn't really feel like implementing the bindings. But it hasn't really been like anything... Um, uh, Besides the occasional Xamarin uh, release issues, uh, which are getting better now, um, it's it's been actually pretty cool to use um, to use C sharp. Yeah, especially like we were saying at the top, like you've you've been using C sharp, you know, since the very early days of of C sharp on mobile too. So for it to have been you know achievable in the beginning and and getting better, and um, at at this point, it's definitely a, a pretty awesome case study in or at least a way to debunk a lot of claims that you definitely can't write graphical heavy performant apps like this sort of thing yeah. in, in a high level language like C sharp, right? Like that's pretty yeah. awesome. And this was interesting because when I started um, the, the simulator in 2004 ish, I was this engineering school I was in was they were all Unix guys. So there was just NetBSD, Emacs and 
a bunch of my friends showed up. We we're like, "Hey, Visual Studio!" <laughs> we we're like, we "We're like, you know, they're Kryptonite." Um, so, and they most of them told me like, "Yeah, you're going to be stuck with Microsoft platforms, you know, forever." And I'm like, today when I look at it, I'm like, I can run on PS4. I can run on a Raspberry Pi. You know, it's there's so many things. Like I actually had uh, as an experiment one time. Uh, the server running on a Galaxy S2, and I I redirected all the traffic to my phone, <laughs> which was crazy, but it worked. Um, <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. So maybe that's all Azure is behind the scenes. It's just a bunch of <laughs> Galaxy S3s or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So speaking of devices too, like how you know, leaving aside the the language and you know Xamarin and C Sharp. Um, you know, there's just a lot of variety out there of, you know, different iOS devices, and especially on the Android side, you know, there, there's a huge range of, of devices of and different scales of power and things like that. Like, has it been difficult to support this type of app on a lot of different devices for you? Yes, it, it is getting better, but it's been difficult. Uh, not lying, iOS is way better. Because there's one type of processor, they're they're like super anal with the quality of their drivers, so usually it's you know it's it's easier on iOS. Android has been a mixed bag, especially when we had support for uh, OpenGL ES2, which we dropped in this update because our um, Kevin, the guy in France, was like, I mean, I can make it work, but it's, it's hacks over hacks over hacks. And we're using extension that sometimes like devices say they have and they actually don't have them and they you know we crash and we can't. So it was really a pain to support these old devices, uh, and we were spending a disproportionate amount of time fixing bugs for a subset of Android users, and this was penalizing everybody else. So we just made the, the call. It's like okay, it's gonna hurt our bottom line because it's less customers, but we we just have to drop. OpenGL ES2 devices. Um, so this was a good, uh, good opportunity for us to say, like, hey, you know, this kind of rendering. Sorry, your five-year-old phone is not going to be able to do it anyway. You're going to have to go to lower quality, and it's not going to look that great. So we just decided to just cut them. Um, but yeah, at the beginning, Android was a real, you know, a pain to support. And I remember having. Uh, was like a Samsung, I think it was a Galaxy Tab 10 from like back in 2012. Uh, they had accelerometer values inversed. So <laughs> like normally when you had the portrait modes, uh, there was like some kind of indicator where like a, something like 270, 90, 360, and zero. And based on that, you could say, you know, I could invert the values. And this particular device had it completely upside down. So I had to make a special case for this one. It was just horrible. So it's it's better now on Android, um, now that we have all That's the OpenGL. We haven't really really had any, any graphics rendering issues in this update, like a big issue where everything is black or textures are messed up or the shaders are completely rendering like you know, bogus information. So it's, it's been pretty good for this update. Now, are there any features that you're forced to support on only some platforms or some devices, or have you been able to sort of keep it a, a level playing field after dropping that uh, that little Android support that you mentioned? So it's mostly on par. So we have 
the only the only thing we're missing on iOS would be the joysticks and the native joystick support because um, iOS does not support standard HID uh, devices, uh, which would be great if they did, but they don't have support for that. So this is, I guess, it would be the only difference. But we have we have ways. I posted on my Instagram recently uh, to uh, send uh, data, send joystick data to the app. There's two versions of the app that have been developed by our intern, uh, where you can basically forward the joystick inputs to your iOS device from your PC or your Mac. Uh, and the proof of concept that I was doing this weekend was with uh, Raspberry Pi sending the same information. Uh, so you don't have to have a PC and you could just plug your um, uh, joystick into your Raspberry Pi and it sends the data uh, to, to the app. So there's not really anything that's, that's device specific. And we've tried to avoid any like, you know, there's the touch pressure on iOS, but we've kind of avoided using that because then we have to have special behaviors on different phones and it's just it's just we're not big enough to support that so you mentioned the different pieces of like your server architecture your redis server and your uh, sql server and the web front ends like what can you give us a, an idea of what that looks like like how that scales up in terms of how many instances you guys are running and what kind of like load you you experience on the the services um, okay, so the uh, API server, which is basically what we use to get service, uh, user stats and user flight plans, all that. So this is um, uh, a large uh, instance, and we have, I'm scaling back down because I've made some optimizations since this release. So we have uh, 10 instances now. Uh, of a large um, instance, large instance type, uh, I think it's A4, something like that. Um, and for the uh, CDN, we use uh, the, I think it's, we, we used to use the Verizon CDN, but this was way too expensive. Um, so we switched to the Akamai. Uh, I think it may not be the cheapest plan they have, but it's it's not, like it's not as, fancy as the Verizon where you have real-time data, um, but it, it does the job and it's way cheaper. Um, and for the tile service, the, the actual origins of the CDN, we're using, I forgot which kind of, which kind of um, uh, service, like kind of server it is, but um, it may be like a large or something that has um, fast, um, I think, no, we wanted to go to an SSD, but they're not SSDs. Uh, what we want is high bandwidth. It's one of the, the server, like one of the types of instances with high bandwidth. Uh, and um, we've been able to scale. Like the, the, the funny part about this is that the when we released, we the, for the first time, we actually released on iOS first because Apple uh, added the phased releases. Um, and we thought this would be a good way for us to ramp up the services and see how things are holding up. Unfortunately, because um, it's always an unfortunately, uh, Apple decided that uh, face releases can be um, basically overridden by users if they actually go in the app page on the App Store oh, yeah. and press update, which kind of defeats the whole purpose because all our most motivated people learned about it within an hour and we had <laughs> thousands of people swarming the servers. So you just and had then, one, uh, one big phase, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was horrible for us because it took us a long time to to spin new instances of the the tile system, 
um, because it's a lot of data, uh, and we just frankly didn't didn't anticipate that everybody would just you know come in at the same time. And we thought with the beta testing that the CDN was primed enough, um, but I guess we just had some regions that were primed and not everything. So when everybody around the world came in, depending on how many CDN server you know endpoints they have. Those maybe didn't have anything, so they were querying the origins so bad the poor things were dying. Um, and for the uh, for the multiplayer system itself, uh, we have I think it's a large or medium type of instance from. So it's not a crazy machine, and it, it takes about 10 percent, five ten percent CPU time, um, and it's only one instance. Uh, and we've had the most we've had. At one point uh, on release day was about 2,400 people connected to the system, and we had I think 1,400 on one server, uh, which was the record. And and it was humbling for me because the first time we shipped uh, multiplayer, when we were using UDP, and that was my fault. Uh, we were using TCP. Sorry, we were using TCP. I had made promises that I had tested with like 800 clients. It worked when people were far apart, except when people were in the same location, it's just sending the positions of everyone to everyone every second. So the whole thing was dying. Um, so it was like, at least we had a max of like 30 people on one server for the first release. And now we had 1,400 people and it was just fine. We were we have a special packet in the in the in a debug build that just goes to the server and the server just gets it and sends it back right away. And it was about like 30 milliseconds to get back the packet. So, it was pretty good. Nice, nice. <laughs> and now uh, now it's working pretty well. Like we have things are pretty stable. Cool. Um, so before we wrap up, I, I, I want to take a little bit of time to to talk about the business side of things cuz I I feel like, you know, you you have a pretty interesting perspective from your side, having been, you know, running this, you know, a business based around this app for as long as you have. Um, so I'd be curious to hear about your your experience, sort of, you know, well, building an app, you know, or building a business around a, a single app like that and, and sustaining it for for this long. Um, like, how big is the team that you have working on this now? So we have four developers, uh, two community managers. Uh, and two artists and one intern who's basically a developer with us. So it's nine people, uh, eight, nine people, depending on, on the season. Um, and, um, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been stressful for us to kind of keep things going because it's, you know, we have more people working now, so we have to kind of maintain a a level of income uh, for the company that that's sustainable. Uh, and in the mobile market, it's, it's very difficult to, to, um, to sell things. Everybody's always, um, you know, expecting things for free. Um, so it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, just, just this update we just had where we told people, hey, it's not going to be free because satellite imagery is not free and servers are not free and people make us pay for stuff. So, you know, we have, we kind of have to make it paid as well. So... Uh, so this is this is an ongoing battle. So we, it's always difficult for us to price things and make sure that you know people who bought the app previously are not, do not feel like alienated because something is free now or something hasn't been updated or something has changed. Um, and we've had we've had a a, a battle with with um, 
our friends who were advising us, they were in the mobile market before we shipped, and they were like, you have to make this app free because you know, it's, nobody wants to pay for an app, especially if you want to have in-app purchases in there. And we always had this vision that you know, if it's free, people don't really care. Um, and then you get, you get lower quality users because, I mean, you get probably more users, that's true, but then, you know, these guys, there's this, these friends who were making this game, they were getting insulted every day. It's like, oh, this is not working. It's like, you paid zero dollars for it. Like, why are you even complaining? So uh, that's why we decided like, hey, we're gonna make the app $5 and still sell things inside because it's just, it's, we wanna make a sustainable app and we can't do that if we just have people, you know, chip in $1, $5, initially and then you know expect updates for a lifetime um is, is there any like a recurring subscription model or anything like that to for the multiplayer like have you thought about going that route yeah yeah it's recurring so initially the first uh in our purchases we had were just planes uh and the funny story about this is we we're wanting to sell them for uh, three dollars so 2.99 and then um you we chickened out the day before uh, pushing to apple and we changed the price to um, 99 cents. And then we got crushed because it was, it was not zero. Um, so I like on a depressed evening, looking at all the complaints, I'm like, you know what, if you guys are whining for $1, you're gonna whine for three. And at least, you know, we have more money to pay our guys here uh, and then we can move forward. Uh, and then nobody cared uh, because those who already paid, you know, paid. This is when I realized that the difference is not between one and three, it's between zero and not zero. Um, so if people are listening out there, don't price your app at $1. Make it $4.99 or $9.99, but not zero and not $1. You're leaving money on the table. Um, and then um, we had our first plane at $5, which was the highest um, in units sales for the longest time, which is you know, paradoxical because you know, it's the most expensive one. But the perceived value made people purchase it more than the other ones. Um, there was that, and then uh, when we shipped the, the first version of the multiplayer, we decided to make it a, a subscription model because there's ongoing costs. Azure is not free, and you know we have bills coming in. So we made this $5 and then uh, for the month uh, for just multiplayer, and then you could have for $50 a year, you had all the planes, all the regions, and the, the multiplayer included. And in this new update, we're kind of leveling the, the fields and it's a one subscription, but three different durations. So it's 10 bucks a month for multiplayer, the entire um, world in satellite imagery and all the plane, all the planes. And uh, it's 49.99 for six months and 79.99 for uh, an entire year. So yeah, we have recurring model, and it's 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 been difficult, but usually like people understand. We we get some nasty emails that were like price gouging, or they were stealing money, and then we tell them like, okay, seventy nine ninety nine a year is about six something a month, six dollars a month. You probably have thrown more than six dollars of food in your trash just today uh, from expired products or whatever. You know, it's. So it's it is a budget. We're not gonna lie, it's a budget, but it's it's not. I mean, it's something that we need to keep working on this. So once we explain to them, we're not a big corporation. We don't have funding. We just are 
this group of developers who enjoy doing that, they usually, you know, tone down and say like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. Yeah, I, I've, I've found the, the same sort of thing just in, you know, in, in apps that I use or in apps that I've put out where, you know, it a lot of it ends up coming down to how you engage with that community to to show that you're just a another de- a developer on the other side instead of some big company, you know, behind a support email or something like that. Like it tends to to change the the tone of the conversation, but but it does rely on you spending that time and outreach and, you know, that getting that engagement with that community. Yeah, it has worked well for us. That's why, you know, we're kind of public on social media. I'm a lot on Twitter and Instagram, responding, liking comments, retweeting people, um, and posting about what we do. Um, Whenever there's something cool that I'm working on, I'm going to share it, and it just makes the app personable. It's it's um, we think it's great for it's it's harder to if even if you have a competitor when you have a community when you know people, uh, it's hard to let go. Um, and we have this this forum that's super active um that i hear that uh, discourse is actually using us um for like beta testing some of their features because it's so active it's a good testing ground um so and it, it's uh, those people know each other they have meetups you know we have pictures of people who made their own t-shirts somewhere in the philippines of their their group of infinite flight users it's it's really powerful what what it has created and and people have met each other there's you know it changed careers it's just it's a great great community around it yeah it's really really awesome um so what's what's next for for infinite flight like what do you what's kind of coming down the pipeline for for features or anything else that you're working on so we have uh, two big like well three big axes that we're we're focusing on um there would be uh more detailed planes so having the cockpits uh, animated. So we have animations of the yoke and throttle and all that, but we don't have the screens, which display information like the speed and all. Like it's just basically static images. Uh, but we've prepared this work with our, our artists to make sure that the cockpits, the models are true to life. So if there's a button in real life, it's there, it has the right information on it. So in the future, if you want to retrofit some planes and have more... Um, uh, cockpit information that's live, then we can do that. Um, second would be um, improving the uh, the weather system. So we have clouds, we have uh, like haze, uh, more like rain, all that type of like weather effects. Uh, and the third one would be uh, adding buildings, 3D models, um, so we don't have just flat airports. So that, that's something that a lot of people have asked. Uh, and on the lower, uh, I mean, there's just like the things that you kind of have to do, the noise level kind of features, more planes, um, you know, optimizations, a new map. We have a map that's kind of, it's, you know, outlasted its, uh, its life. Um, and, uh, and we need to kind of rewrite it. So we have one guy in the team right now who's rewriting the, uh, the, the, the map control. Um, and just better like finding more engagement from our users so getting new customers getting into maybe more marketing um so that's the part that we're kind of lacking at the point at this point awesome well i think somehow we managed to fit a lot of really awesome stuff into an hour which i think is impressive in its own right but uh 
thanks so much for, for chatting through all this stuff today, Laura. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. And I'm sure we can have you back on to dig into any of these topics in depth sometime. So we might Absolutely. have to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.